a Podcast One production. G'day, I'm Tim Harcourt and welcome to the Airport Economist. In this special mini-series, I'm delving deeper into one of the most desirable markets in the world for Aussie business, China. With such a large population and a booming economy to boot, China can present a goldmine of opportunities for business owners. But I know from experience that the landscape can be tricky to navigate. So, across these next five episodes, I'll speak to a business owner who has succeeded in China and an expert to find out the biggest challenges Aussies face when trying to make it in the so-called Middle Kingdom and, most importantly, how to overcome them. My Chinese friends who all come from Beijing and Shanghai and Guangzhou, the first-tier sophisticated cities, always refer to the second-tier cities in China as mere country towns. And in fact, when I was working for the Premier of South Australia as international advisor, it was suggested that I go to some second- and third-tier cities in Shandong province, the sister state region of the state of South Australia, which also happens to be the birthplace of Confucius. Well, I went to the capital, Jinan, and this capital city, this so-called country town, as my friends referred to it, actually has 6.8 million people. Not bad for a country town. When we were there with the official delegation from South Australia, we went to a huge banquet hall for the Shandong government. There was around 1,000 officials there, and we went to see a wine show and presentation by Peter Gago, the chief winemaker of Penfolds, the famous wine from South Australia from McGill. Now, Peter put on an incredible show, basically taking the Chinese hosts from every wine right up to the famous Grange. And uh, to our amazement, all the Chinese officials in traditional style were calling out Gumbay and encouraging everyone to scull the wine. And we thought this was pretty amazing when we got up to the Grange and, yes, they sculled the Grange as well. That's a lot of dollars going down your throat in a very quick scull. Since then, I've been to a number of second- and third-tier cities in China, Chongqing, Chengdu, Xi'an, Nanning, as well as to the first-tier cities familiar to us all, Shanghai, Beijing, Guangzhou and Shenzhen. I've always wondered what the opportunities are and the attraction of the so-called country towns And how do they differ from doing business in a big international city like Shanghai? So now, let's find out why you should be taking advantage of China's second-tier cities. Pip Crawford is Business Development Manager of CMV Wines, and she's deliberately chosen to bypass Beijing for smaller cities like Qingdao. Pip, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to be here. Now, tell us the story of... CMV Wines. I mean, the family company's got an amazing story from car parts through to wine to pistachios. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is uh, fairly diverse, to say the least. Where did CMV come from? What does it stand for? 
Um, it actually stands for commercial motor vehicles. So um, our family business was founded back in 1934 by my great-grandfather um, and mainly in the sales and service of commercial vehicles, uh, which is where the name actually originates from. Since then, we have um, obviously diversified into agriculture and uh, then on into wine as part of that. When did you make the decision to go into wine? It actually just uh, sort of evolved quite naturally. Um, we planted our first grapes back in the early sort of late 80s, early 90s, now with the single vineyard site down at Langhorn Creek, which is um, just over 400 hectares now. Um, and wine sort of just evolved from that. We've always been contract grape growers. And as many of uh, other contract grape growers know, you don't, it doesn't always go to plan with um, different vintages having excess supply or not enough. And the wine business really just evolved from that in some of the years where we had um, more grapes than our contract needed. And uh, we just sort of, yeah, got into it that way, really. And Shearer's Hill is the wine you produce at that Langhorn Creek property, isn't it? Correct, yeah. So Shearer's Hill is um, the brand that we export to China. Um, and we have so for about five years now. And when did you start thinking about China? It really did evolve quite naturally. You know, it's always been on our radar from the nut side of the business as well as the automotive side. Obviously, uh, a lot of things come out of China from that perspective. But from an export perspective, um, you know, when it comes to wine, five, ten years ago, that was really the place to be. We predominantly grow red wine grapes and obviously China is heavily um, dominant in the red wine sector versus white wine. So it really did make a lot of sense to be there and um, a partner approached us at that time. And that's really where Shearer's Hill evolved in China. Now, a lot of people talk about Bright Lights, Big City and a place like Shanghai, you know, there's more people in Shanghai's there are the whole of Australia. Why not Shanghai? Why did you choose Qingdao? Oh, look, as you said, there's more people in Shanghai than there is in Australia. So when you look at Qingdao, not only was that where our partners were based, so it made a lot of sense to, to start where you are, but you look at a second tier city, you know, like Qingdao, and the population of that city is, you know, equivalent to that of Sydney or Melbourne or, or even sometimes greater. And so, you know, you don't really need those tier one cities to get started. You know, it's really enough to get started in those tier two cities. And of course, in Shanghai, you'd have the French, you'd have the Chileans, you'd have South Africa. You'd have a lot of competition, wouldn't you, in Shanghai? You definitely do. I mean, you do anywhere in China, um, whether it's tier two or tier one, but definitely in the tier one cities, it is way, way, way more competitive. It's also the consumer is slightly um, more forward than the tier two cities where they still are growing and evolving. Um, and we just made that decision to, you know, want to grow with people and, you know, while they're still growing with their education on wine and drinking habits and that type of thing. Now, Qingdao's famous for its brewery, Qingdao Brewery, that I went to, but it also has a wine museum. Does it, is wine culture taking off locally? Oh, look, I think um, it's not just about the wine culture. It's about the food and wine culture there in, in Qingdao because the brewery has been there for so many years. Um, that culture of drinking together has been around for a long time. You know, wine is definitely growing. There is definitely a museum there. It's not, I wouldn't say that it's their number one thing. Um, there's other cities, you know, that are closer to the producing regions in, uh, in China that are, are more known for their wine. But um, you definitely know the culture of drinking together and eating together really sits in Qingdao. Now, we know that Shandong is famous for being the birthplace of Confucius, but 
it's also got a special relationship with South Australia. Did that relationship help you? It did, definitely. So being um, sister states, uh, we went on a a business mission that was um, supported by the South Australian government a few years ago and went through some, I think it was four or five cities through the Shandong province. And definitely we picked up sub-distributors through that trip in um, different cities and especially in Qingdao as well, just having such a presence from a government perspective, but also from a supplier perspective. Um, You know, Qingdao is now our largest um, distributor there. So, you know, it's, even though we are in some tier one cities, Qingdao is our most successful. So I, I would say that definitely has a little bit to do with it. Are there challenges compared to a bigger city when you're in a second tier city? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I notice just, you know, um, visually when I go there, the logistics of the business are, are different in, in tier two cities. And that just comes down to the tier one cities are, are slightly ahead of the game with technology um, and logistics and, and that type of thing. So you definitely do need to take that into account when you're looking at tier two cities. Some of those trends that have already hit tier one cities like Shanghai and Shenzhen may not yet be um, in, in those tier two cities. And are these obstacles that can be overcome or you just wait for them to catch up? I think, you know, with anything, it just comes down to communication. Um, and that's one of, you know, a, a challenge in China due to the language barrier, especially that, you know, you've got to have a focus on making sure that you have strong communication with your partners in those cities. And I think, you know, once you have that, then you can form that base to then say, you know, why can't we have these technologies here? Or what can we do differently? But I think, Yes, part of it is waiting it out, but also, you know, it's about just having those really strong partnerships um, in China. And are there some advantages? You know, second tier cities, they're more keener, they're more keen for foreigners than a place like Shanghai? Oh, um, yeah, they're definitely looking for business opportunities. The tier one cities, I find, you know, are very saturated. You see it when you go there on, on trade missions. I was just there last week. It's a different vibe in the tier two cities than it is in in the tier one cities because they already have such strong supply with so many different countries as well. Um, you know, that's yeah, the same thing for tier two cities. There's not a huge difference between them. I just I find that um, there is just a slightly different hunger for for the business opportunities. You're often looking for, um, you know, it works well for us because we have an importer for our product. We don't need a second importer in a different city. We're really looking for those sub-distributors and that's where the tier two cities work well for us because the people there, you know, aren't yet ready to say import their own products, but they would like to then have a look at that sub-distribution and that works well for us in those cities. I like that. It's the vibe. It's like the castle, isn't it? It's the vibe. It's Marbo. It's everything. It's hard to explain. <laughs> just got to be there. So it's very exciting for you going to China, you know, rather than just doing business in Australia. Would you give any tips to other, you know, small businesses looking to go to China to a second tier city? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's different every time I go there. I have a different experience. Uh, also, it's just such a diverse country. Um, you know, you go going to a city up in the north, you know, compared to down in the south, it will give you a totally different experience, not only from the cuisine, um, which sets a lot of the taste profiles and the, you know, the different types of um, industry that they have in those cities, but also that the culture is different. So, I mean, my biggest thing is really embracing it. You can't go there and, you know, be an outsider. You just won't get to know your people that the people that you, we work with in China, um, 
relationship is so, so important to them, as, as it is to us. And I think you go to any country or even in Australia, it, you know, relationship is still number one. It's just how they build that relationship is certainly, you know, in my opinion, unique compared to how you'd build a relationship in Australia. Well, Pip Crawford, CMV Wines, thanks for being on the Airport Economist. No problem. Thanks for having me. We've heard from the business now. Let's speak with the expert. Joining me now is the Director of Geopolitics and Tax at KPMG Australia, Meriden Varrell. Meriden, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. So first of all, what is a first tier, second tier, third tier city? Is there an official definition from Chinese government? It's a very good question. There's not really an official definition. It's kind of an understanding, an unstated, unwritten understanding. Basically, the first tier cities are the ones you really know about, Beijing, Shanghai, and there are three components to to where you get rated. GDP, population, but also kind of political connection. Cloud. Well, um, how you're governed, how you're Ah, managed. Mm. Um, So GDP, I think, for first tier city is above 300 billion. Second tier is around 68 to 299. Sorry, I'm talking US dollars. And third tier is about 18 to 67 US dollars billion dollars. Then population, a first tier city is more than 15 million, second tier is 3 to 15, and a third tier is about 150 to 3 million people. And the politics is if you're a first tier city, you're controlled by the central government. If you're second tier, it's provincial level government and third tier, etc, etc. So you've got less connection with the central authorities. China had this huge rural urban migration from the countryside to the city and everyone thought if you're not in Shanghai, you're camping out and they'd all head off to Shanghai. I mean, was it government policy to try and promote some alternatives because there's so much heat in Shanghai and Guangzhou and Shenzhen and Beijing? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and it's part of a, a much broader development um, strategy for the government. So the government, um, under under one of the earlier um, presidents, Deng Xiaoping, he had this opening up and reform strategy and he really concentrated on the eastern seaboard. But then the idea was then that would trickle through to the west. That didn't trickle through quite so automatically as they'd hoped. So they really wanted to start developing, deliberately developing these um, western and central regions. And even now there's a strategy called the Shaokang Society Strategy. And the idea is to have a moderately developed, a moderately prosperous society for everybody by 2025. And this is a big party goal. This is a big government goal. And and part of that is urbanisation. In fact, the goal is to have 70% urban population by 2025. So it's a huge government push to urbanise for development. You know, when I first went to Shenzhen as a union official, I went to a factory and I said to them, do you have workers' compensation in China? And it got translated and they came back and they said, no, if the workers break anything, they don't have to compensate us. <laughs> you know, and, and since I've been back to the same factory, they've all complained that they have to pay very high wages because all the workers want to work in air-conditioned offices and not in factory work. Is that one of the things that you're seeing in, in China as it's more urbanised, people trying to go for those white-collar jobs away from the you know, the mass factory-type labour? Yeah, sure. That's definitely um, a factor that, that people are starting to want to move up into higher-skilled work. Um, the, there's, a, there's a huge... Uh, university educated population, um, and there's a there's a there's a massive transition to that kind of level of, of education and, and those standards. Do you think these cities have sort of grown up organically, or do you think there's been some political management and sort of, you know, who gets built up next and and so on? 
It's probably a combination of both. You know, there's an existing hub there and then the government, both the central and that own city government, wants to build it up for um, for its own purposes. So there's probably a combination of natural um, selection as well as government intervention. Do you think in some ways because everyone was rushing off to Shanghai, they wanted to build up some sort of alternatives so, so people would still be in the countryside but they could join their provincial big city, not go all the way to the East Coast. Yeah, absolutely, because there's a lot of challenges if you have a, a huge population migrating to the big cities. It's a, it's a, it creates all kinds of problems in education, healthcare provision, all these kind of social services, infrastructure. So it's absolutely desirable to have alternative options. Now, I often take my MBA class to Chongqing one year and Chengdu the next. And last time I was in Chongqing, they said, we are a one and a half tier city, not a second tier city. Is that you know, is that, is that official? Is that just about rivalry between Chengdu because they're both in Sichuan province? Yeah, absolutely. So the two of them, you know, want to be the top dog. I mean, it's probably not much more than the Melbourne, Sydney kind of feeling. Um, but yeah, definitely. They both want to be the most attractive option. Uh, so positioning yourself as one and a half gives you <laughs> a tiny bit of an edge. Great. Do they do deliberate things? Like do they make, you know, Qingdao the port city and Xi'an, the aircraft aviation sort of city, they've done that quite deliberately with industry? Yeah, they do. They, they invest, they put certain um, investment, infrastructure investment in different places so that, you know, this economic theory of, um, you're an economist, what's, what's the theory of um, specialisation? Comparative, uh, comparative advantage. Comparative advantage, thank advantage. you. Yeah, there you go. Um, plays out in practice, that's the idea for certainly. It's sort of managed comparative advantage. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of management, what are the challenges for people managing these large cities? I mean, do they lose their talent to Beijing eventually or do they have to sort of stick at it? Yeah, that, that can be an issue. So a lot of um, these second tier cities, for example, um, have subsidies or uh, schemes to attract and then try and maintain talent. So, for example, in Nanjing, which is just inland and slightly north of Shanghai, they have a scheme um, with rental subsidies and training subsidies for people who have higher than a bachelor's level degree or for people who have particular technical skills that they find useful, and that's not a standalone example. Now, what do you think for Australian business, for SMEs looking at China, what do you think the risk and reward is of going to a second tier or third tier city rather than just schlepping straight off to Shanghai. Yeah, there are a lot of opportunities uh, in these less developed areas. We used to think that Western China was a, a, a desirable destination for manufacturing because of these sort of low costs of labour and energy and rent, but these are growing, wealth is increasing, the middle class is increasing, so it's a different kind of opportunity. Um, but what we're looking at here is this growing population because of the urbanisation policy, that wealth of the middle class, a desire for products and services that aren't necessarily already there, like they might be, you know, in Shanghai, you can get all the kind of fancy organic food that you want, but you probably can't get the same kind of things in second and third tier cities, but that desire is there and is growing. And you've got, you know, much more infrastructure in these second and third tier cities than you used to have as well, great roads, great railways as well. So there's there's the opportunity and the support are uh, increasingly there, but also Australian government is trying to deliberately create um, and build that brand Australia and the presence in those other cities. So Chongqing now has an Australian consulate general there as well, so way out west. And that's probably important, isn't it? Because if you're uh, an architect going for a major project, having the Australian government next to you is quite good in China, is it quite quite significant? Yeah, I think you can, you, it's a big country and you can feel a long way away from things that you know and understand. Uh, so it's very useful, I think, to have um, the Australian representation out there. And do you think you need political connections yourself in the 
in the party in, in Chengdu or Chongqing or Qingdao or does the Australian government provide that entree for you? I think um, the political environment is a very sensitive one to navigate and it kind of gets to the, the major point about the challenges of doing business in China because it's a very different operating environment from Australia. You can't take something that worked here or even worked in another Western country and go, well, that'll be terrific over there in China. In addition to China not being one, um, an, an operating environment that's similar to Australia, it's not its own monolithic um, environment either. So Chongqing's wildly different from Tianjin or Beijing or Shanghai. So connections, not just political, but including political, are really, really important. You need to know the people you're doing business with. You need to know if you're doing business with a state-owned enterprise or a private operator. You need to know what the broader goals locally, government goals are locally, as well as the broader political direction at the central level. You need to know who's influential in decision-making. Yeah, you need political connections to know who's going to be making the decisions, who's going to be able to support you, who's going to get good information, who's going to help you progress, and to be able to build your kind of trusted local teams so and the network so that you can succeed. So you do need to have connections of all sort, absolutely critical. What would be your last piece of advice to a business going into a second or third tier city? You've got to get local. You've absolutely got to get local and you've got to spend time in that local environment. That's cheating, that's too. Um, but, but you've just got to spend that time in location, developing the networks, understanding the trends of those particular group of people, that demographic, because they're different from place to place, they have different consumer preferences, and the, the politics of the local are going to make or break your business. So it might be a global world, but you still got to think local. Absolutely. Well, Meriden, thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that's it for this edition of the Airport Economist. I hope you enjoyed listening and picked up a few useful tips along the way. The Airport Economist podcast series is produced by Liv Proud, audio production by Darcy Thompson, and executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. The Airport Economist is recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au, download the app, look us up on iTunes. And don't forget, there is also the Airport Economist TV series and book of the same name. You can find out more at our website, theairporteconomist.com, before you take off. Well, thanks for joining me. I look forward to our next business adventure together somewhere in the big wide world. I'm Tim Harcourt, and I'm The Airport Economist.